0: Looking forward to this next hour or so as we dig into the federal election campaign with some insiders, some strategists, some people who follow this very, very closely. And I'm sure we'll have some great insights for us as we go into the final days. Of course, we cast our ballots on Monday. So we're going to have a bit of a roundtable here with some political strategists from across the spectrum and get their take on how things have gone. We have Colin McDonald joining us, who is a liberal strategist with Navigator. Good morning, Colin. Thank you for joining us. Good morning thank you for having me uh sally hauser is with us she is an ndp strategist hi sally good morning shay and melissa Cowett joins us who is a conservative strategist and writer um melissa thanks for being here today
1: good morning shay thanks for having me
0: so let's just go around the horn here we'll start uh well we'll go with melissa first up here uh, just give us your general take on what we've seen over the past four and a half weeks as we get closer to election day anybody surprise you anybody disappoint you or has it played out the way you expected
1: Sure. So yeah, first of all, I can't believe that we're only days away from the election now. It seems like at the start of it, it always seems like it's going to be forever. And now it's just a couple of days away. Um, I think that the, the leader that has surprised me um, the most, um, and not just because he's my guy, but Aaron O'Toole has really um, been a strong, strong candidate this election. He has come out and been not only in his sort of appearance and his tone has been a really strong leader, but he's also done a lot of things that conservative leaders in the past have been reluctant to do. And I guess time will tell about whether that strategy was the right one or not, but he's really tried to take the the party a bit more to the center. Yes, He has stood up to, uh, some of the common misconceptions about the party in terms of stances on social issues. Um, he has not presented a platform that is sort of doom and gloom and cutting spending. In fact, healthcare spending increases, transfer to the provinces under conservative platform. Um, and so he's had a relatively gas free campaign, which I think, as a conservative, is just like a huge. Um, So it's it's awesome to just see that and see that brand of conservatism on the national stage.
0: Sally, your take? Um, O'Toole definitely has been trying to move the party closer to the centre. As you observe um, from your NDP position, Um, how has the campaign played out in your mind?
2: One And we always kind of, you know, through campaigns, talk about the campaign arc. And, and although campaigns always do seem long, I think, it, particularly if you're working on them, <laughs> long hours and things like that. Uh, but, I mean, this is the kind of campaign that's legally allowed. Uh, and while, you know, you have the very dominant aspect of, of COVID, uh, throughout all of it, uh, I think, you know, a lot of people during this campaign, they're, you know, um, they're focused on other things, frankly, and it's really a challenge for all the leaders to try to really make it through that day to day of people, you know, back to yeah. school and, and COVID numbers, riding and things like that. I, I think, um, you know, the the Liberals started with a kind of a, you know, trying to wedge on the vaccine issue, and, and Trudeau struggled to really tell Canadians why we were having an election two years early and, and what it was about. Um, I think both for the Liberals and, and the Conservatives, you've seen them kind of change up their messaging a fair bit over the course of the campaign. Uh, I think the NDP has been incredibly disciplined, and my, my background is in political communication, so I always love to see that discipline of message. Uh, but that really kind of, you know, there's not much difference between the Liberals and the Conservatives, uh, and and frankly, Um, Justin Trudeau has had six years to get some of the progressive things he's promised over and over again done, and he hasn't gotten the job done. I think the challenge for Trudeau has been that, you know, in 2015 and 2019 even, you could still kind of do that, that hopey, changey message of here are the things that I will do uh, if elected. That's a lot harder to do when you've been governing uh, for, six, for years. six years. And so that kind of Teflon, I think, wore off the liberals uh, a little bit. Um, and you really have to kind of run on on a record then, which uh, I think they've kind of struggled to do. I think you know a few months ago, myself and a lot of pundits would have said, "Yeah, it's probably likely that the, the you know the liberals are going to kind of stomp their way to uh, a majority, or at least be very very comfortable with minority." Uh, and that hasn't been the case. Yeah, I think the timing of it. It was a bit of a gamble. Um, you know, you want to get ahead of the fourth wave of COVID, uh, you know, kind of have an election when it's, people have had a summer and they feel really good about things. Um, and then but you find election day kind of smack dab, and, and particularly on the prairies where we're, uh, we are. Um, Got some issues. Smack dab and <laughs> the province being on fire.
0: Yeah, exactly. Colin, she's talking about your guy. Um, you know, and he did start off with a lead. He lost it. But he's regained it. Um, He's back in the lead as we head into this final weekend. How do you think um, Trudeau's conducted himself throughout this uh, past month or so?
3: Yeah, no, I think. I mean, I think that's right. I mean, we we're all going to going to agree that it's been an interesting campaign. It's been a campaign of phases or a campaign of waves. Um, you know, we saw Mr. O'Toole, I think, to his credit, came out more prepared and more disciplined than than we would have we would have thought. I would say that he's been relatively one note and kind of has been unable to build off of that uh, over the last couple of weeks. I think the prime minister has experienced a lot of. Um, It has been a challenging campaign from the perspective of some of the noise that has surrounded it, and I mean very specifically by that some of the protests uh, some of the unseemly uh, behavior, some of the vitriol that's been directed towards him uh, and to some of his candidates, in a way that I think most Canadians would agree is not reflective of how we typically like to conduct our election campaigns and how we typically like to uh, see our public discourse uh, taken on. And I think that has been a real challenge. But I think the Prime Minister has shown uh, real steadiness through this. You know, he is a he is a seasoned campaigner. Um, he has put forward his message, which is. One that is in direct contrast, despite Mr. O'Toole sort of starting in the leadership campaign as a SoCon uh, and appealing to the SoCons, and then kind of moving around and saying that he wasn't one, and you know talking about how he was a he was a conservative leader who would be against the sorts of things that Brian Mulroney would stand for. And then the other day, we see Brian Mulrooney get trotted out uh, for a for a glad handing campaign event, and Stephen Harper is nowhere to be seen. Despite all of that uh the Prime Minister has still been able to draw a real contrast between uh the progressive and positive policies that he is he's proposing and his party is proposing and some of the some other things that Mr. O'Toole wants to do, which there will be an audience for and folks mm-hmm. folks listening uh listening today will have will have different perspectives on which one of those plans is is the one that they prefer. But uh there has been significant uh difference between those. And then the last thing I'd say I guess in terms of how it's played out. I think Mr. Singh also came out uh, doing quite well. You know, he had started with um, a bit of low expectation in the 2019 campaign and sort of seemed to find his feet. But he also appears to have sold, and and critically for him, because I I think uh, this was something that got exposed in, in, in the debate that was... You know, difficult a debate that was difficult and not exactly anybody's favorite debate. I don't think uh, mm-hmm. over the course of our our time observing politics and, and being engaged yeah. in and working in politics, uh, Mr. Singh got you know a little bit stuck on on, on some pretty important important stuff, and that's the details, right? Uh, and we've seen that kind of that kind of stick over the last few days. He's got a he has a positive message in some ways. He has a proactive message in some ways, and obviously he's youthful and everything else. Um, but he really seemed to lack in any kind of basic. Understanding 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 of the details the dollars and cents uh and the actual policy proposals that were behind some of the the higher order uh messaging And, and that has i think caused them some real difficulty over the last whatever it is week or so yeah
0: okay uh good stuff guys we need to take a quick break we'll come back and talk about some of the issues and uh and uh where we might see things pivot at all going into this final week so we'll be right back with more after this we are chatting this hour with Melissa Cowett, a conservative strategist, consultant and writer, Sally Hauser, an NDP strategist, and Colin McDonald, a liberal strategist with Navigator, uh, having a bit of a discussion about the final days of this campaign and what we've seen so far. And Colin mentioned um, the debate, so I'll just put this out to anybody that wants to jump in and get your reaction to the debates in general. They really were lackluster. I mean, most of them are, but this one I think was really underwhelming. Do you think anybody managed to take any steps forward or backwards through the debates that we saw?
1: I'll jump in. I mean, I think that we saw what we saw at the debates was just sort of a demonstration of how some of these leaders act when they're under pressure and when they're um, sort of backed into a corner and asked to defend some of their records. Um, When we look at Uh, the Liberal leader Justin Trudeau's performance during the debate. He had he's the one that's been able to govern for six years. He's the one that's been able to come to the table with a record. And he came off in that debate as really defensive in many ways. Um, He had to answer a lot of tough questions Mm -hmm. from the Green Party leader, Anime Paul, who really questioned him on his record on um, women's empowerment and some of the things that have happened throughout his mandate. He took a lot of heat from the NDP leader as well on things like climate change, on things like ind- um, indigenous leadership. And so it was, you know, he was he was really in the hot seat and having to answer for a lot of the, the things that have happened over the past six years. And, and, of course, all of the leaders keep coming back to the question, why are we in an election right now? Why are we going to the polls right now? Um, I have to say, though, the Green Party leader, she's, she's Anna Mae Paul is not going to elect people in Alberta. And she... Sure. Um, not going to probably elect a lot of seats across the country, but I think people should know about her and what a strong performance that she had and, and what a great perspective that she brought to the debate because she really did hold her own and forced a lot of the leaders to um, sort of answer for for some of the things that they've said and done. And I just thought that she brought a really... Uh, outstanding perspective to that stage, and so I'm glad that she was there for yeah, sure. Yeah, um, I think
0: Melissa. A lot of people agree with you. I think she conducted herself very well, and it was an introduction for a lot of people. And uh, you know, it, as first impressions go, it was it was very favorable. I think for her. But like you say, uh, will it translate into votes? It's has bit of a long shot. Um, Colin, your thoughts on what we saw those debates? Anything leap out at you, or was it sort of ho um, hum?
3: Was pretty unimpressed by the format, which I think is not a not a, a position uniquely held by me. Um, I, I thought there was a few op- there were a few opportunities where each of the leaders actually had uh, had a chance to really either shine or, or that we were about to get into a spirited debate. Uh, and then for some reason, reasons that are uh, I guess decisions that are made by smarter people than I am, uh, those those debates weren't allowed to happen. Mm-hmm. We were sort of they were sort of taken away from us and things moved on. Uh, I, I think one of the interesting Things about the debates, though, always is there's we always watch for the in the moment uh, punch in the chin or the, the 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 real sort of defining moment from from the debate. And sometimes infrequently, but sometimes you can see it in the moment. Uh, other times it plays out over the course of the last couple of days. And I think one of the interesting things to come out of it is a uh, you know the 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 question that was put to Mr. Blanchet in the first moment. He's not a leader, or and that's not a party. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about today, I would guess, but um, he had been suffering a relatively uh, difficult campaign so far. And, and, uh, you know, both the NDP, the Liberals, uh, and the conservatives were all looking at Quebec with with different with a different perspective, um, and they seem to uh, he seems to have done from a Quebec audience's perspective. Perhaps not from not, not from mine, but from a Quebec audience's perspective, he seems to have really trans uh, translated that yeah. first response of his into some into some into into a changing dynamic on the ground in Quebec over the last week.
0: Yeah, he was quite impressive. I have to say, um, Sally, your guy is the most likable leader. All the polls always say that people like jug meat Singh. Did he? live up to the billing in those debates?
2: I think he did. And, you know, people who follow politics, so a lot of us will always say, you know, we there, there should be more debate about policy. There should be more time for policy, um, all these things. But that's usually not what debates are about. Uh, I agree it wasn't the best format, but you know what? Every debate I've ever watched in my life, there's been some some <laughs> grumblings about the format. After always. I think it's, it's telling that the people that were the most grumbly about it were... They're, they're guided. Uh, you know, you have to play the game according to the rules, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, really, what, I mean what the debates do and what they serve to do is leaving people with the impression of the leader. Will they remember any kind of specific policy that was discussed or any of those big hits? Less of that, and more. You know, did this person come across as trustworthy? Did this person come across as intelligent? Does this person come across as authentic? Uh, which is something that we've talked a lot about uh, in this election, and I think increasingly in politics, that idea of authenticity. Yeah. Uh, and I think that respect, Doug Nickson, absolutely um, uh, did that in, in the debate. People liked him; he remained likable, and and it was positive for the NDP in that respect.
0: Really quick, rapid fire before the news here is just go around the table, uh, putting partisan viewpoints aside. Melissa, who won that debate? Did anybody?
1: An enemy, Paul, or Aaron O'Toole, I'd
2: say.
0: Okay. Sally?
2: Yeah, I don't know that there was a, a draft year, but uh, and that often happens to debates. but I, I will say that I think that, uh, just, that was
3: there, I was going after him, but I, I would say he lost it. Colin? Well, I think in comments, always try to come out of a debate uh, unscathed, unscathed and, and moving forward, and I think the Prime Minister accomplished that, so I, I'd give it to him.
0: Yves-Francois Blanchet, being in Alberta, I know nothing about this guy. I have to say, he was impressive. I, there was something about him. He's appealing as a guy on a stage like that. I mean, we can't even vote for him here, but I thought, he seems like a pretty cool customer. about
2: the, the block leader in the English language debate, I
0: always it, They don't really have a whole lot... Yeah, they don't really care, right? Yeah, they don't have anything to lose, and I think that came across pretty clearly, uh, especially with Blanchett. You knew, I mean, he came out, (laughs) which was kind of startling to say, I have no interest in leading Canada, and and sort of shows how invested he is in the English language debate, and uh, maybe with the pressure off, he just sort of uh, let fly. Okay, we're going to take a quick break for the 10.30 News. We'll be back and continue this discussion after that. Stay tuned. Continuing our discussion with some political strategists as we take a look at what's going on in the final days of this election campaign. We have with us today Sally Hauser, who is an NDP strategist. We also have Colin McDonald, a liberal strategist with Navigator, and Melissa Cowett, who is a conservative strategist and writer. Um, for all of you, and feel free to jump in, there's no conch being passed around, so if you want to jump in at any time, go ahead. I, I, I want the perspective of political strategist, and let's just be cold-hearted, anything to win political strategists, when what happened in Alberta this week, we've seen some of the party leaders, Justin Trudeau, talking about it again on the campaign trail today. Um, It was a ticking time bomb that I think the Conservatives were hoping wouldn't go off until at least the 21st, but it has, As a strategist running a campaign, how do you take full advantage of what's going on in Alberta to help your guy or to not have it completely derail what you're trying to do? Um,
2: I'll go first, if the others don't mind. I was a federal conservative uh, I would be tearing my hair out uh, right about now. Uh, <laughs> and we're wearing, uh, I'm, I'm talking today from, uh, from Saskatchewan, and it's a uh, similar situation uh, here. Um, you know, in terms of taking advantage of it, um, you know, obviously the, the liberals and the NDP will say, look, well, this is what a conservative government gets uh, mismanagement, right. You know, the wrong decisions at the wrong time, delay, lack of leadership, uh, all those things. Uh, I think it actually stands to benefit the NDP in many ways, uh, more than rebels, because even though you can talk about uh, health protocols and everything like that being down at the provincial level and not the federal, there's still that kind of mood and tone and thought. And I think what I was saying about saying that I Gamble of calling the federal election um, as this kind of fourth wave was hitting, particularly on, uh, on the prairies. There's still, like, some ill will towards Trudeau, whether it's justified or not, and the tone uh, and mood. Uh, so, you know, and, and, and on the prairies you've got a lot of these seats where, you know, uh, less so than in Ontario where, you know, the NDP and the Liberals are kind of competing for um, a, a lot of votes, and you have those switches and those seats uh, on, on the prairies. Uh, you have a lot of seats where it's that um, real close race between yeah. conservative uh, and new Democrat, and whether, you know, kind of the situation in in Alberta and, and, and Saskatchewan and the absolute disaster we've seen uh, in, in the kind of less fair treatment of COVID. Will that cause um, you know conservatives to to switch their vote to somebody else? I don't know about that, but it does. Uh, probably as a suppressant, as a demotivator to get that, that vote out. And I think that that's definitely what the, the Liberals and the NDP will be trying to do.
0: Um, Colin, the Liberals definitely talking about it over the past couple of days, ever since the news came out that the the provincial government had to backtrack on the things they were saying earlier in the summer. Are they taking full advantage of it? Or, I mean, it seems to me like Chudo's trying to walk a fine line where he doesn't want to come out as... You know, really trying to take advantage of this because that would be distasteful to a lot of people. But at the same time, he sees the opportunity.
3: I think that's right. I mean, I think the opportunity—it's not just one that's being constructed either. Mr. O'Toole is on the record of praising uh, Premier Kenny for uh, his um, ill-conceived and dangerous approach to to the pandemic. Um, and, and the Prime Minister, and, the, and, and I don't think anybody in this campaign is going to celebrate what is happening in Alberta. You know, I'm not, I'm not speaking to you from Alberta today, but I, I have colleagues uh, who are in Alberta, and, and this is not something that anybody would have wanted to, to see happen, and not something that anybody wants to, is feeling good about. But at the end of the day, it reinforces a couple of very important messages. One of them is the, the, the mismanagement uh, and the, uh, the lack of attention to fact and science in, in favour of pandering to ideological concerns or to uh, fringe elements within, uh, with, within the party that, frankly, Mr. O'Toole doesn't have a very good record on. Again, this is, a, this is a leader who has taken on a bit of a chameleon personality over the last number of years in public life, and that's not something that we can really debate. It's something that's, that's there for the record to see. His, his leadership campaign um, looks almost, his leadership platform, par- par- pardon me, looks almost nothing like the platform he is putting forward today, uh, that is obvious to everyone why that is. He took advantage of political opportunism uh, in order to 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 pander to a certain base within the within the party to win the leadership, and then immediately flipped on those people uh, and moved over to probably being you know Peter McKay light. Probably Peter McKay probably would be blushing at how um, he is trying to to be Peter McKay on this. Uh, and so I think it just speaks to another pattern with Mister O'Toole where, you know, yesterday he's going to say Jason Kenney was the greatest premier the pandemic has ever seen, and today he's going to say Jason Kenney had it all wrong, and he can't believe that Jason Kenney wouldn't have taken the steps he needed to take to keep Albert safe. And that just means that we can't trust Mr. O'Toole on just about anything.
0: Um, Melissa, as a conservative strategist, when something like this happens and drops in in the final days of a campaign, there's no question this is the last thing that conservatives wanted. What do you do? How do you respond? How do you react? How do you try and minimize the damage this can do?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll just note that a lot of, you know, I see people bringing up Erno um, Tool's support of the, the plans in Alberta. Um, a lot of that is from a video that was in October of 2020 um, when we're facing a very different pandemic situation. So I think it's important to say that. And up, up until a couple of months ago, even the Prime Minister was was praising Alberta's response to the pandemic. So I I just think it's important to underscore how quickly situations are changing and how, you know, every single political leader is, um, to a certain degree, um, politicizing the pandemic um, when it's convenient for them. Um, In terms of strategizing, I think that if you're in the conservative War room in Ontario. You're really worried because you're just you're you're wondering whether people in Alberta are going to be able to differentiate between the provincial conservatives and the federal conservatives. You're worried about what kind of an impact the PPC is going to have in taking away votes and what kind of implications that could have for tight ridings and vote splits. And I think you're also worried more broadly. I mean, Alberta is a conservative stronghold. We win seats. We've talked about this many times with really high margins here. But you're also worried about the message that is sent to the rest of the country about conservatism and um, what that says about how a federal government would handle the pandemic and, and and move forward. And so I think that you're you're almost if you're in in the conservative strategy sphere, you're almost more worried about the connections people outside of Alberta are making mm-hmm. between the the provincial party in Alberta and federally, and you're, you're really worried about that in, like, Montreal, Toronto, and um, Vancouver in, in areas where you need to pick up seats. So I think the message just has to be uh, strong. And I think the last thing I'll say is... Um, there, a lot of Albertans are frustrated right now, too, so I just don't know how much they're going to punish the federal conservatives for what the province has done. I think voters are smart, and they do rep- recognize the differences, and they do recognize that, um, that policies that the federal conservatives have put forward and the plan that the federal conservatives have put forward for Alberta specifically— It leaves the most people um, best off. So I think they'll be able to tell the difference. I'm more worried about the implications for the rest of the
0: country in in sight riding. Outside of Alberta, yeah. Okay, we're going to squeeze in one last break here and we'll come back and uh, wrap up our discussion right after this. Stay tuned. We're having a discussion with Melissa Cowett, a conservative strategist, consultant and writer, Sally Hauser, who is an NDP strategist, and Colin McDonald, a liberal strategist with Navigator. Um, just to ask the question here, we're into the final days of this campaign. What does it come down to at this point? So many advance polls have already been cast. I mean, a lot of people will have their minds made up at this point. So what is the focus of a campaign as you go into this final weekend before voting day?
3: Maybe I'll I'll jump in there. Uh, I think there's two things, right? So there are, there are a lot of people who have voted in advance, but there are still the big day is always you know Super Bowl Sunday is yep. still always E Day itself, uh, and so uh, coming right on the heels of a of, of weekend, you want to make sure that you're still driving uh, your message, you're driving your contrast, and you're getting out in front of. Your voters and your likely voters and and both you know hopefully trying to convince a few to a few new to new ones to, to vote for you, uh, but then to motivate those who are already um, who are most of the way there or are already there to make sure they actually get out uh, and then that's the second piece is that just really taking the time this is this is a time that is you know for all of us who have worked on campaigns you know especially actually at the local level. This last weekend is a really intense period where you're trying to get all your logistics sorted, all your get-out-the-vote machinery ready to go, and make sure you're really, um, you know, you're re- you're really working hard in, in, in advance of what becomes a very, very busy uh, day for some folks uh, on Election Day itself.
0: Yeah, Sally, that's what it comes down to, right? It, anybody that you've managed to pick up in support as the campaign has gone along, now your job is to make sure they actually go out and mark that X for your guy.
2: Absolutely, it's about getting getting the vote out. Uh, the first kind of part, and, and more than half, I guess. Uh, the first kind of two of the campaign is is more about what we call the air war—that that you know the the big media pitches, the ad buys, the the, the selling—you know, your platform and your offer and everything like that. Now most people are, are fully baked in terms of how, you know, there's not a lot of people who will be kind of making their mind up in the next two days. Uh, so it's making sure that you have good marks, i.e. identifying the support you have where they are and getting those votes out to the pool. The, the other thing of the past few days uh, and, and currently still is um, identifying where you need to put your resources. Um, you know at the beginning of the campaign you have target writings, but that can shift over the course of the campaign Mm -hmm. maybe a riding that you thought you were absolutely going to win and it it looked really good uh, is all of a sudden dropped off the list and a campaign that you didn't think um you, you were going to win, but you, they had a great local candidate, and for whatever reason they're now really coming up in the polls and it looks like they could take it. So those final days of getting those boots on the ground, the volunteers, campaign staff to the right places that is going to maximize uh, your turnout and, and your seat count, that's a really, really key component in the final days of an election.
0: Melissa, does one party have momentum going into this? Do they have a more motivated base of support that they can be a little more comfortable that they'll be so angry or so enthusiastic that there's going to be a better likelihood they turn out, or are they all sort of going to need a big push here? Because a lot of people don't even want this election.
1: It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't really matter um, how how well you've sort of prepared in the last four years. Like my co-panelists here have said, if you're not getting those people out that you've identified, you know, people forget. People have other things going on. They don't, you know, they don't pay attention to politics as much as the four of us um, here do. So it's really just about confirming everybody who said they're going to support you actually goes out and supports you. And I think, um, you know, people don't even realize like candidates um, and campaigns are asking people if they need rides to the polls. They're, you know, Mm -hmm. making sure there's volunteers that can go door knock and say, hey, have you voted yet? Um, There's people who are at um, scrutineering at voting booths, like trying to get people out. So it's just it's a lot of that, and it's a lot of just also like don't make any um, big errors in judgment in the last few days. I mean, don't do anything stupid. Don't say anything stupid. Keep your head down. And focus on the ground game and i mean sally mentioned it as well you're getting real honest with respect to what you can win and what you can't based on the internal um polling that you have done so you know at the start of the campaign you might have been super optimistic we're going to win all 338 seats now it's about okay which ones are we actually in the race for and no offense to some of the other campaigns, but we're not going to pay as much attention to you if we know we can't win because all got to be focused
0: on where there's the maximum opportunity for seeking. Exactly. And uh, I'll come right back to you. What are you watching? I'm keeping an eye on Edmonton center. Uh, I'm keeping an eye on Edmonton mill woods and maybe Calgary Skyview. What will you be watching closely and what's your prediction for Monday night?
1: I am definitely watching those ridings in Alberta. Um, I'm watching as well for how we see, I don't want to focus too, too much on the PPC, but I really want to see how the PPC pulls out Mm -hmm. um, support in Alberta and Ontario and in in BC as well in the interior. Um, Whether or not they'll concentrate enough support in ridings to actually win seats, I think is um, yet to be determined, but I really want to see um, what kind of an effect they have uh in terms of vote splitting and, and how much they take uh at that regional
0: level yeah that, they've definitely uh they've gained a lot of momentum throughout the course of this campaign they're a factor i think for sure um sally of course we know um ndp 100 percent conservative uh not ndp saskatchewan 100 percent conservative in the last election do you do you expect that to hold what are you looking for to un- unfold on monday night
2: yeah, um, just because I'm, I'm based in Saskatchewan. I've done a lot of work in, in Alberta as well. And I'm, I'm always interested in the prairies because it, it sometimes gets lost in, in, in the federal election. And, um, you know, Saskatchewan sent all conservatives... Uh, last time around. Um, But really, the the NDP, it's really in Saskatchewan, really between the NDP and and the Conservatives. Ralph Goodale lost his seat last time in Regina Luskana. That was never really a Liberal seat so much as it was in Ralph Goodale's seat. Um, But there's kind of three ridings in Saskatchewan, uh, Regina Leuven, Saskatoon Centre, and then the Northern Riding of uh, Miss Nippy Churchill uh, that have always kind of flipped back and and forth between uh, Conservative uh, and a new Democrat. I. Those and they'll be close races. They. They always are. Uh, Edmonton greets as well in uh, in, mm. in Alberta, I Here think is an up. interesting one with a really fabulous candidate, Blake uh, and Desjardins, who's, you know, that kind of, when you have got that a candidate that good and that kind of momentum and that we talk about kind of getting people out to the pools. And I think that this is where the NDP has got an advantage in terms of, I feel like NDP voters are voting for something instead of voting against it. I think that they have a motivated vote this time and that motivation can make the real
0: difference in those tight races. Certainly can. Colin, uh, of course, uh, the Liberals going into this, the goal to get out of minority position, move into a majority. Um, They haven't really moved the needle that much in terms of where they started and where they're finishing this campaign. Uh, What are you watching for? Is that still the goal for the Liberals, or is it to try and hang on to the minority at this point?
3: So I think the, the, you know, the, the, the party will be feeling good about we're not feeling good. Everyone is intense, and everyone is uh, feeling uh, like they're pushing every button they can to get over the line in each of the parties. Um, you know, we have an internal uh, polling model that we run at Navigator that shows uh, the Liberals are, are still looking as though they're they're going to be returned with a minority. Um, uh, the, the publicly available models that are out there are also showing a Liberal victory. I think for me what I want to see is uh, what has what just mentioned, three rides have just been mentioned here in Alberta uh, where Liberals uh, stand a very, very good chance of of, uh, of being, uh, of winning. And I think that would be, you know, a very different narrative for what has been a, a campaign where there's been a lot of, um, you know, from the opposition parties, a lot of negativity towards the, the liberal party around, uh, their ability to win new ridings or to win, uh, or to win back ridings. So a couple of ridings in Edmonton, uh, riding Calgary, Calgary Skyview. Uh, I think I'm watching to see what happens with each, with each of those. And then obviously, um, you know, watching for the, for the, for the, overall, the overall breakdown and the overall uh, national result.
0: Um, just gauging what we've seen in terms of interest, what do you guys think we can expect in terms of voter turnout? Are Canadians going to head out to the polls? Is the pandemic going to keep them away? What do you think we'll see in terms of Canadians responding, answering the call here?
2: I think it's going to be a very low turnout, uh, unfortunately. Uh, Just had an election two years ago. Obviously, COVID is is a huge part of it. Not only of kind of people's fears about going to a crowded polling station, but also kind of a a general malaise and and being focused on on other things. Um, The other thing to think about um, is I I went through a a COVID election, as it were, in, in Saskatchewan, and we might not even know on election night how things are breaking down. Uh, between the advance vote, the mail-in vote. And and when you have kind of things as close as they are in terms of party polling, uh, you know, you get 25 seats that aren't called on election night. Well, that can make the difference between, uh, you know, minority and majority or whose who's minority yeah. it is. Uh, so, you know, it might be a real late night and actually a long week.
0: <laughs> oh, let's hope not. Let's hope it's over. <laughs> Boy, can you imagine? Uh, Melissa, do you, you agree? Do you think that uh, turnout could be a little lackluster this time around?
1: I agree. I think you're going to have people um, who are sort of, I don't want to say mainstream voters, but voters who are not really like on the fringes, maybe don't have um, a political um, party membership, which is you know the majority of Canadians. Um, I think they're just sort of disenchanted. You had a great interview earlier this week, Shay, with Tom Nichols, just talking about some of, um, some of the sort of divisions happening in society yeah. and how there's all this polarization happening. I think people are, frankly, just sick of it in mm-hmm. many ways. People are over it. People who I talk, I love talking to people who don't pay attention to politics at all. I have a lot of friends who just are totally not involved and just asking them what they think of what's going on. They don't get it. They it's all you know, as we say in politics, inside baseball. A lot of the stuff that's happening, and so I think that people are just sort of thinking right now, like, what's the point? People may think that they don't have any good options because they they just haven't looked into it. And like Sally said, it's been only two years, so I think we're probably going to see lower turnout. And yeah, I mean, in in British Columbia, we saw as well. Like, we it was hard to know the results of some ridings. So I mean, with. With the things as close as they are nationally, I wouldn't be surprised if we're, we're not knowing who forms government um, on on Monday evening.
0: Oh, boy. Okay, well, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Melissa, Sally, Colin, I, I can't thank you guys enough for your time this morning. I really appreciated some great insights, and uh, enjoy Monday. We'll see what happens. Thanks so much, Shay. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, that is Colin... Um, McDonald, who is a liberal strategist with Navigator. Also, Melissa Cowett, who is, no, M- Melissa is the conservative. I apologize. Sally NDP and Colin McDonald representing the liberal strategists. And, uh, interesting discussion. And I think I don't disagree with a lot of what they had to say. I'm a little worried about what will happen if we don't actually get, um, the vote counts in by Monday night. But there is a lot of mail-in ballots coming in, and there's going to be some really, really tight races. Uh, now it's your turn. What are you watching? What are your predictions? What ridings do you think are in play? And, you know, the stronghold for the Conservatives in Alberta, there's a couple of places, I think, not saying it will, but they are vulnerable. And as I said, I think you take a look at Edmonton Centre. James Cumming uh, is in tough. Edmonton Millwoods, Tim Upple has a fight on his hands and you also have Calgary Skyview.